And welcome to Volume 3 of Wrestling 20 Years Ago. And it is ECW. And we have a pay-per-view this month with Living Dangerously. I am joined by the two men that filled in my shoes last month and did a magnificent job. First, who took over the hosting and the match telling and all the hard bits that I do. Eric, how the devil are we, sir? Bob, Bob Calling. Dad's, dad's back. Put the put the weed and the booze away. We got a show to do. <laughs> Shit, hey, I'm bro. fine. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine, dude. Good to, good to be back. Happy to have you back here. <laughs> and again, Bob is here too. How are we, Bob? Yeah, the complete afterthought. I'm here, uh, getting ready to chat about living dangerously. I'm pretty excited to be here. You're not an afterthought. It's just well, that's what know. my parents. That's what my parents always tell me. They're just like, oh yeah, oh, you're here. <laughs> Well, the sister's not... always more popular, so <laughs> it's okay. And she's you know, the smart one. She's a nurse. I'm just a guy that works in retail. Not a big deal. It's fine. So it. if you if you've got that booze and weed flowing about, you know, do you want to sort of send some my way? Come on, share and share alike, boys. This is the ECW podcast where it is perfectly appropriate to talk about these things. I feel like exactly. So, volume one, and also. Episode 200 of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast is your WrestleMania 15 show, which by now you may have already heard, and it it was a happening. And then in Volume 2, we have WCW's hardcore, quote-unquote, airmarks, uncensored pay-per-view, where you see two 50-year-old gits in a Steel cage match with barbed wire on top. WCW, ladies and gentlemen. So, we're here on ECW talking all things wonderful in ECW. First things first, before we go any further and into the news, as always, if you would like to support the show, you can by paying $5 for the super exclusive Patreon content, which you will get monthly specials and all episodes up as soon as possible. And if you just want to say thank you, but, you know, you can't, you haven't got all the money, you can do $1, and then you get the episodes early. And as always, if not, you still get your free shows a month for free. We still love the freeloaders. So, Eric, it is that time for this month's very, very small amount of news. Yes, Bob and I talked last month about ECW having some financial hardship and some uh, problems uh, back uh, backstage. Not so many headlines this month. Chris, I'm just going to throw it to you to catch us up on everything going on with ECW behind the scenes. So as of this month, ECW are still running a full schedule of house shows, despite a growing concern that the promotions operations have been desperately short of operating cash. Reports that Heyman is negotiating with Buena Vista, a subsidiary of Disney, 
with then some in ECW claim that deals could give ECW a quick cash fix in exchange for the money made for the next two pay-per-views. There is said to be about $400,000 difference between the two figures, and some are saying the temporary solution for the ongoing problem. While individual ECW house shows are often profitable, not always, the expense of paying for the weekly TV slots across the country is enormous. And these TV slots are necessary to the company to publicize the pay-per-views, dust draw, buy rates. And because of recent bounce checks, a lot of ECW has lost their TV coverage. So this is looking as though some of their biggest markets may even lose TV and shows with Atlanta, Chicago, Boston and pretty much their second home, Pittsburgh. They're trying to get better clearances, but as always, TV clearance is not cheap. In the New York Post recently, they ripped on Disney for getting involved with the promotion and saying they're more sleazy and pornographic than the WWF. Since coming to print this month, the Disney subsidiary Buena Vista has not made any substantial talks of whether they will or will not go ahead with the deal. Some of the wrestlers this month have been coming out saying about what's going on with the fact of not getting money. Tommy Dreamer said on a radio show that it's got serious offers from the big two, but as yet doesn't want to talk to them. Taz may be on his way within a couple of months, and Lance Storm and Justin Credible, amongst others, have been rumoured to be going elsewhere because they aren't getting paid. What we do know is Big Dick Dudley has been let go. So, boys, what is going on with ECW backstage? Are, are we starting to worry that the little engine that could may not be going any longer? Eric? Here's what I'm, yeah, here's what I'm concerned about. There's been very little movement on this subject since last month. And last month we were told, oh, there's going to be, and it bled into their storylines as wrestlers and wrestling promoters do, uh, that there was going to be benefactors that are going to be there to bail out ECW. And maybe that was Buena Vista. Maybe that was Disney. But like, Christ, can you imagine Disney backing ECW? I can't. So I'm like, I'm shocked at the lack of movement there's been in this direction over the past month, two months. And it just seems like ECW hasn't figured it out. And I was optimistic that they would, or they would have some some direction. And it just seems like they're just this, you know, rudderless ship floating in the middle of the ocean, and they don't have a direction. Um, and and that that's what sticks out to me in this whole in in this month's news is simply that there's nothing that's happened that gives me any more hope that ECW is going to be better off financially, except for the fact that we reported last month that it was 700,000 and now the reports are 400,000. So maybe their deficit isn't so vast as we thought, but other than that, it's not looking good. It's it's like, I didn't mention it in there, but there was uh, a note that said that ring crew 
and the guys that help film the show got all their payments. Some of the boys haven't still been paid and checks are still bouncing. But the fact that TV companies' checks are bouncing is not a good sign. And the fact they're leaving clearances in places like Pittsburgh and Chicago that are wrestling hotbeds, which are the place where, if anything, is where ECW is going to make their money is not a good sign because you know they took so long to get new york tv back if they lose all these other clearances where are they going to be left with what louisiana and philly it's it's not great um bob have you got anything that you want to pop in with uh, well i mean we th i think we talked about it last month about how you know we wouldn't really trust Paul with a whole lot of money or to run the financial side of it. So I can't really say that I'm too surprised by it, but if they're losing TV clearances, that might be a sign of where things are to go. I mean, they clearly are getting pretty good houses, even compared to um, for their house shows. Uh, you know, I think they had a run there in North Carolina a couple of weeks ago and they got around 900 to 1200 fans for each show. So there's definitely interest in the product outside of the Northeast. It's just being able to, you know, keep that TV clearance. So if they're not able to keep the clearance for television, pay for it, um, then obviously ECW is going to be in pretty, you know, a lot of danger because compared to WWF and WCW for their in-ring, uh, it might not be advertiser friendly. So they got to keep what they have and, maybe have to make adjustments for who they bring in, if that can help out with their deficit, if they've already decreased it by 300,000. Gosh, here's the thing about that though. Like I've just watched all of March and essentially all of this year for the WWF. And it's like way more offensive than anything that happens on ECW by and large. It's unbelievable. Like, okay, on ECW, you see a little more TNA, Francine Spears, Jason, and you see basically everything that God gave her. But those those bits are like scattered throughout pretty good wrestling. And on the WWF, you have abductions, beer trucks, like all the stuff that pisses off middle America packed into a two-hour show on the WWF and far less of that on ECW. So even the perception that ECW is worse than the WWF, I think, is flawed. Well, I, well, I just – I don't mean to cut anybody off here, but I mean they've – we've kind of been programmed for WF to be seen as a soap opera. Yeah. To, to an extreme, ex, ex, you know, extent there, pardon the pun, but extreme changes of wrestling. Meanwhile, you got people going through flaming tables, you know, and, and that, or, you know, using unprotected chair shots, which we see everywhere. But um, yeah, I mean, the, they have, WWF has a, a broader range of what they can get away with because we're kind of programmed. To, this is a story. It's not, but then there's some people who will see what ECW is, ECW is doing. It's like, how is that not fail? So how is that not real? You know, that type of stuff. Mm. Okay. Working yourself into a shoot is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because it's, it's a lot more believable to say, you know, Hulk Hogan's not really punching that Ric Flair because he's hitting his own hand. But then how can you say Masato Tanaka just took an unprotected chair shot from Mike no. Awesome and he's like dead? That's perfectly legit because yeah. the WWF is so hokum and so fucking unbelievable these days that like nobody can watch that and think, oh, the Undertaker's actually abducted Stephanie. But you can watch this and think, oh yeah, Balls really did send Steve Carino back to the Stone Age with that chair shot. Right. 
so if if we look at this do do we see any sort of companies or any individuals that you think may be able to come in and help keep ecw afloat that wouldn't want to just kick poorly out or change everything because I think the problem is, obviously, Paulie is a great wrestling mind. He is a fucking awful businessman. Absolutely. But who is going to come in and go, well, here's here's the money. You do what you need to do. But, but I don't know if, if it can work or whether he just needs like a proper, strong business type to come in and literally go, right, this is your budget. You cannot spend more than this. Yeah, I, I, that's a noise we made a lot in the WrestleMania 15 taping, by the way. Um, I just don't know if there's room for three major wrestling companies. And so I'm, I'm all, almost wondering if ECW's Haven isn't going to be just that small, distant, alternative third product if they can get their budgetary figures controlled. Because the only, the only feasible, realistic, uh, scenario that we've heard for ECW that's affiliated with someone like who's actually alive with existence and a checkbook is to be kind of a, a training ground or a breeding ground for the WWF. But like Vince McMahon isn't going to send, you know, The Rock in 1996 to ECW to get bladed by New Jack. So even if ECW's future is as and all as a as a minor league to the WWF, it can't exist in its current form. So I don't know what they do other than just kind of realize that they're going to be small, cut budget back where they are, and reach a core audience that's going to, you know, there's a theory about wrestling where do you try to reach a broader audience or do you try to take more from the audience you already have? And I think maybe ECW needs to take more from the audience they have rather than trying to reach a broader audience because I just don't think they can. Mm. Well, said they have had that recent launch into Europe, um, so we can easily get ECW TV over here now. Um, I can't see them coming over and doing any shows or a tour over here this way. Um, but I suppose that's a little bit of an income for them. Um, and obviously, if there's now a demand for home videos and stuff, they'll make secondary funds that way. Um, I, I think they just need to maybe look at different forms of revenue streams because um, they're clearly they are clearly struggling um but the thing is you look in ring they're probably doing some of the best work they have ever in this past sort of three four months obviously since the awful pay-per-view the the They've cut down on the excessive violence for the sake of violence. They've got a lot more bad in-ring work going on. You know, if anything, they've they've changed the product that little bit to be less offensive and less less hard to sell. You know, you've still got Sabu diving through tables. You've still got chair shots. You've still got the Dudleys being the Dudleys. You've still got New Jack and his bin of weapons. Francine but, taking pain shots. Yeah, but Ooh. it's it's not 
as bad as it was two years ago when it was just a case of, oh, we've just thrown someone off a ladder off the ceiling. What can we do next week to atop this? You know, that was one of the things we did say a few years ago with ECW was they're very much a game of, well, we'll top that with this. They've now stopped trying to top the extreme and the violence. It's now top bar wrestling, thankfully. But I think maybe it's a little bit too too late. I think if they'd have been at this point last year, maybe someone might have picked it up a bit. But I know wrestling's hotter than anything in the world right now, especially in the States. And, you know, you can't move for Goldberg and Austin on all mainstream stuff. But as you said, I'm not sure if, if there's the room for a third big player. Any last thoughts, boys, before we go into the TV for the month? No, I mean, I, I think we covered everything for like, for that aspect. I don't really have anything else to add for that. And, and we're going to talk about some really fucking good wrestling here in a few minutes. So, if that's yeah, let's move on. Cool. So, we will go into week one's TV for the month, which opens with a video package all about the destruction of SIDS. We then get a Taz promo where he tells everyone about Red Hook and how it made him. We then get Joey doing an editorial piece about WCW, which you'll hear now. WCW Uncensored, a pay-per-view that was inspired by extreme championship wrestling. Don't let them tell you any differently. On that pay-per-view, they're going to have what they're calling an extreme hardcore match. Raven versus Bam Bam Bigelow versus uh, Hack, H-A-K, brilliant Time Warner, formerly known as the Sandman, extreme hardcore match. Besides that, Ric Flair and Hollywood Hogan in a barbed wire steel cage match. You think two 50-year-old millionaires are going to use real barbed wire? Watch this. It's gimmicked. It's rubber-tipped. Ours isn't. Experience this difference. We then get a rerun of the 1997 barbed wire match between Terry Funk and Sabu, because our barbed wire is real, boys, not that fake shit that WCW are using. We then have the Dudleys, Mustafa, and Gertner in a stairwell. Gertner gives us the State of the Union address about how grid the hood is, and that the cash rules the hood. We then get a retort from New Jack, which you'll hear now. I ain't mad at the Dudleys, because they stupid, and they don't know no better. Mustafa, you got to deal with me. Look in my eyes. You got to deal with me. Pay-per-view. Asbury Park. Son, you don't know what you done got yourself into. And I promise you, I don't care about a belt. I don't care about a title. That night, I will work for free because I'm going to kick your ass all over that building. And when you go back to Nevada with your broke ass, you're going to know that this was the biggest mistake you ever could have made because I created all this violence. And ECW, WCW, WWF, and every independent on the market, New Jack started. You was just 
a gopher. You was just somebody that was glad to get a check. I didn't need you then, but I need you now. Please show up. Black on black crime at its finest. Mustafa, you going down. And I promise you, I'm going to hurt you. Dulles, I'll deal with you on a later date. But Mustafa, pay-per-view, please do me this one favor. Show up and watch me perform surgery on your black ass. I hope you're happy. Kiss your ugly ass wife. Kiss your kids. Tell them goodbye. Because when you show up in Asbury, it ain't going to be a wrestling match. It's going to be a homicide. And you bet your ass on that. Please show up. He tells us that it's going to be black on black violence and Mustafa is going to pretty much die. We get more from Taz saying that Sabu's hot at him because Taz is the champion. And we then get a recap of the Shane, Tommy, Justin and Lance from last month and the passing of the franchise name. Week two opens with Danny Doring and Broadkill versus the FBI versus Balls and Axel. Balls and Axel win after a chair shot. We then get an FTW title match between Jerry Lynn and Sabu, which ends in a no contest as Taz comes out and brawls with Sabu after a really decent TV match. We then get Tommy versus Lance, where Justin jumps in pre-match and beats down Tommy. Shane makes the save, so instead of Tommy Lance, we get Lance versus Shane. Lance gets the win with a roll-up after Justin canes him. Another really, really good TV match. So we will just sort of have a quick recap of week one and two's TV. Eric, have you got anything about this these first two weeks? I just thought this was a perfectly good build for the show. Uh, you know, one of the main matches is Shane and Tommy versus Justin and Lance. And it's so easy, and I'm glad they did it. Where you just pair off the various combinations in the tag match and have them have matches. That's fine. Like, can we just do this? Simple, easy builds for shows. Um, it's missing in both the WWF and WCW right now. Um, I really dug it. I don't think there was anything about the first two weeks of television that made me think, I'm not going to order Living Dangerously. I think Bob and I talked about at the end of February how the card wasn't really shaping up. And there's there wasn't a lot about the first two weeks of television that you know, gave me a good sense of what the bulk of the undercard was going to be. But ECW has always built its pay-per-views around two, three, four matches, and then they'll just have send guys out there to work good matches to fill out the rest of the card. If you take that for what it is, I was pretty pumped that I knew that I was going to get Taz versus Sabu, and they had some entertaining interactions. Uh, I was going to get the tag team match, uh, and they had some pretty good encounters, and everything else was fine. So, no, I, I don't think there was anything particularly that moved the needle on the first two weeks of television, but there was nothing that made me think, oh, I'm not going to order Living Dangerously. Mm. Bob? Yeah, I, I, I agree with Eric. Uh, the action, especially on the second week, was pretty good with uh, 
Sabu and Jerry Lynn having a pretty good uh, TV match. Uh, the buildup for Living Dangerously, I think, has been going pretty strong uh, compared to recent pay-per-views. A lot of good focus on the major feuds to kind of get you to be interested in it. Uh, whether or not I'm interested in Mustafa and New Jack, that's irrelevant, I guess. But I, uh, I must must say I was a little concerned with uh, Lance Storm kind of going over Shane Douglas on week two just because I really think the heels are having too much momentum, so that's making me think they would not win at the pay-per-view, which I think is something they would really need to do to kind of elevate them further along. Um, but, I mean, for the most part, it was a pretty solid – first half of the month, I think, for television. Mm. They, Bob Calling, if I didn't have you in mind when I watched the finish of that Shane and uh, and Tommy versus uh, Justin and Lance match, I didn't have anybody else in mind, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so, going into week three, we open up with Tommy and Shane in the ring. Tommy calls Francine the hardcore queen. He tells Shane not to go, and he's always be the ECW franchise. And he also says to Lance that he may be a fat git and he did bring personal matters in. It doesn't matter. You will hear all of that right now.
when you see, when you talk about this, I was sitting home thinking about this, and you know, first I said, you know, maybe that might be a cool angle or whatever, but you know what? This has a different meaning for every single person. Please put your teeth in because you're really like, what the f
As they're leaving the ring, Justin and Jason jump them and beat them down. We then get Mr. Mustafa versus Spike Dudley. Spike wins via DQ. As the Dudleys jump Spike as he hits the acid drop, massive top rope powerbomb to Spike and out comes New Jack. The Dudleys beat down on New Jack. New Jack has weapons to the Dudleys until they hit him with 3D. We then get RVD and Sabu versus the Dudleys versus Shane and Tommy in a tag team title match. The champions retain the titles. Sabu pins Devon after a triple jump moonsault to eliminate the Dudleys. And Sabu pins Tommy after RVD hits a sidekick for a table. This match was fucking awesome and everyone got their shit in and was probably one of the best triple threat tag team matches that I can remember. Um, Eric, what were your thoughts on this tag match? You know, I've made some really out there comparisons on the show in my two and a half years as a contributor. I am comfortable in saying that the Dudleys are the new Rock and Roll Express in that Devon is Robert Gibson. That boy can take a beat he can take a pinfall he can be the guy who can look at the lights and cost his team absolutely zero credibility bubba is ricky morton he's the worker he can get heat and he can pop the crowd and typically if the dudleys win he's the one getting the three count I just think the Dudley's dynamic is so perfect, and they've worked out their tag team dynamic so well. I, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm saying anything out of left field by proclaiming the Dudley's are the best tag team going in North America right now. In over the course of every three big major promotions, over the course of every local indie you can you can think of. Shout out to Portland Wrestling. Dudley's are better than anybody you've got, and I just think it's really amazing that these guys can just win, lose, draw, and still maintain all of their heat. And the match itself was fabulous. Just go back and watch it. TV match, good stuff. But I was going to use this as a soapbox for the Dudleys, and uh, I think they've earned it. Yeah, as I said, they, they, they easily won Tag Team of the Year last year. And if, if we were to do the vote for 99, they'd be walking away with it again this year. Um, you, there isn't a team as good as the Dudleys. As you say, they are. They're able to take a beating. They're able to take losses and wins, and neither really matter either way because they come out of it 
as good as they went in and the crowd fucking hate them. You've got Bubba that sits there and pretty much incites riots with how he talks to the crowd. They are fucking amazing. Bob, what were your thoughts on this match? Well, this is going to be awkward. I, uh, <laughs> there I, you found go, bring my, it. I found myself enjoying the match more when the Dudley boys were gone. Okay. Uh, and I, and I also want to say, I was just relieved that this three-way tag match did not involve Axel and Balls Mahoney because being the resident guy that watches the house shows and watching them compete in 25-minute three-ways will drive a guy nuts. So it was nice to see uh, them not involved in this. But I I can't diminish the Delhi boys for what they're doing in ECW because they are more they're one of the top acts heel-wise in the company, and there's no question that they can talk me into an arena to see them get beat up. I don't know if it's their, their style, maybe the, the format of a match that they usually go with. I oftentimes just cannot see myself in, uh, invested in what the Delhi boys are doing. And maybe it has to do a lot with their dominance. Maybe I just, I don't buy in anybody beating them uh, more times than not. And, and realistically from a tag team standpoint on a, on a face side, I don't know who they really have to contend with. I mean, I, I know Spike's there and, and New Jack is there, but outside of, of that, is there really a true babyface tandem to kind of be their foil? I don't, I don't really see it. Uh, but the match, like I said, I, I enjoyed it when they left the, the contest and uh, was pretty surprised for a relatively clean finish for ECW standards. I mean, there's no rules really to it, but to see uh, you know, Dreamer kind of taking the pin uh, was pretty refreshing because on national television, you don't oftentimes see a, a finish to uh, big-time matches. But uh, I don't think I was as in love with the match maybe as, as you guys were. Well, but, like, you make a really good point because it, it makes it seem like, well, how the hell – like, if, if, if Dreamer and Shane, like, can't – win a match where they have a one-third chance of winning, how the hell are they going to beat Lance and Justin and Justin's beat everybody? That's for the, for a year. So I right. I like I like the dynamic of the attempt. I don't know if it succeeded or if anybody else even thought of it, but I like the attempt to plant a little seed of doubt that, boy, are Shane and Tommy really what ECW is all about right now? I did like that. Yeah, did I don't recall them even hyping it up on commentary if like, they didn't win as a team. So I would have played that up pretty big, mm. you know, because like you have credible and storm who are a relatively new unit to begin with. Uh, Cause I think just two months ago, they weren't really talking very well of each other, but um, maybe like if they had been a, you know, a team around for six months or so, they would maybe do that more because I think fans could maybe see, well, storm incredible aren't even, it's not like they've been tagging for a year or anything. So maybe there's that dynamic too. Like there's two new teams, I guess, maybe. It's basically what they did when um, the <laughs> fuck uh, September 95 when the Fed did the uh, tag titles against the IC and the world title. And then uh, they were able to play up how Diesel and Sean aren't even tag team. But then they fucked it up by Owen not being there. So I, I think I've just yeah. taken this completely off the rails with that analogy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so post match, we get Taz comes out and gets at the Dudleys. 
Sabu, Taz, RBD, Lance, Shane, Tommy, and Justin all brawl until we're left with just Sabu and Taz in the ring. They punch each other until security breaks them up. They keep going at it until Sabu puts Taz for a table as we go off the air and get ready for the pay-per-view. So, it is the pay-per-view of the month, Living Dangerously. Eric, do you have the results for me? I have them. In the opening match, Super Crazy defeated Yoshihiro Tajiri. Uh, I should say these are the official results. Uh, watching the show, you might get a completely different sense of what actually happened. Uh, Balls Mahoney defeated Steve Carino. Little Guido uh, defeated Antifaz Del Norte. Rob Van Dam retained the ECW Television Championship in overtime against Jerry Lynn. New Jack defeated Mustafa. All right, this is where it gets a little ropey. Technically speaking, Spike Dudley and Sid defeated the Dudley boys in a tag team match, but there's a lot more to that. Tommy Dreamer and Shane defeated uh, Just Incredible and Lance Storm. And then for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship in an extreme death match that apparently was also meant to unify the ECW and FTW championships, Taz defeated Sabu. So, Bob, what are your opening thoughts of as we were going into this show? Uh, it's probably one of the uh, – ever since I've joined, I would say this is probably the pay-per-view that I have the most interest in just because of the hype and, and promotion going into it. I feel like it's a relatively strong card, stronger than Guilty as Charged, certainly stronger than November to Remember, 98. Um, so I had I have high hopes going into this, uh, and and maybe they can make me a, a big ECW fan because I've I've enjoyed the storytelling so far, and there's I think a few matches where maybe unlike in WWF or in, in WCW where I don't I don't know who could win, and I, I like being able to go into it not exactly knowing where they could go with it. Eric, you've been with me a long time doing this. Yeah, on paper. Is this not one of the strongest cards we've had? Yeah, you know, here's the thing. I've been doing a lot of WWF watching lately, and the in-ring product is just offensively bad. And so I, in November to remember, was bad. And the January ECW show was okay. I was just hoping. And I'm not a work rate guy, per se, but, like, it's obvious when it's missing from a show. I was just really hoping there was going to be something happening between the ropes on a major American wrestling pay-per-view that was passable as, uh, as, as wrestling. And, and fortunately, this show had plenty of that. It does. Um, for me, I, I looked at it and went, right, so we've got RVD and Jerry Lynn. RVD, I, I won't because we all know how much I love RVD. But Jerry Lynn in the last six months has shown that WCW and WWF fucking missed a trick with him when they had him as Mr. JL under a mask and all the other shit they did with him. He is phenomenal. And I was like, you've got two awesome guys. They're going to have a stellar match. We've seen Tajiri in Super Crazy. We know that's going to be good. The tag match 
the Tommy and Shane Lance Justin match has the potential to be a really good match. And then obviously Sabu and Taz, you know what you're getting there. So on paper, I was looking at this and going, unless they throw in some just utter shit or something just doesn't click, we should be in for a good show. And my oh my, were we on to a good show? So we open up the show with Super Crazy versus Tajiri. Tajiri in hits a reverse, Super Crazy hits a takedown and then reverses that. We get some chain wrestling into a stalemate. Test of strength and Super Crazy into a pin that Tajiri then turns into a Hurricane Rana. Body scissors into an arm drag and then they both arm drag each other. Tajiri hits a handspring back elbow into a head scissors and then to a monkey flip onto the ramp. Tajiri hits a massive cannonball on the floor. Then he hits an SIE moonsault. Super crazy hits a sunset flip from the ramp onto the floor and then it hits some head kicks. Springboard moonsault and then Tajiri in the ring hits with a kick to the back of the head and then a handstand head scissors. Super crazy hits a fireman slam and then moonsaults from every rope that gets a two. Then up top for the ten punch and a back kick into a tree of woe drop kick. Double jump moonsault gets a two. Tajiri with a roll up gets a two. Tajiri with a massive kick to the head, then a baseball slide to a two. More stiff kicks. Super Crazy misses a moonsault. Tajiri hits a low drop kick and gets a two. Super Crazy goes in for a cradle for a two. He then slips on a springboard, so Tajiri grabs him and slams him into a nasty German for a two. Super Crazy hits a sit out power bomb for a two. Super Crazy then hits a spinning bomb. And he then wins after a roll-up out of a Hurricane Rana. While I have a beverage after that one, I will let you, Bob, what did you think? Well, I was quite surprised they went in a different route uh, compared to their other dozen matches they had in the last two months or so. I enjoyed it. It's it's the typical crazy Tajiri stuff uh, that we've been accustomed to for the last couple of months. I was kind of disappointed right off the bat with the crowd. I don't know if it's like a sound issue or something, but they just seemed dead. Like they weren't really popping for some of the bigger spots, and they were just kind of sitting on their hands, it, it felt like, which kind of took me out of the move, or the match, I should say. Um, but I was I was fine with uh, this to start the show, and I was kind of surprised for Crazy to go over. I thought this was going to be maybe a, a feud that Tajiri would start off strong with his ECW career, but. Uh, I don't anticipate Tajiri not sticking around and kind of building off of this. So, And hopefully these guys can stay away from each other for a little bit of time because, as we mentioned last month, there's just so many guys in the ring that can probably go with Crazy and Tajiri that we can get some fresh, uh, fresher matchups and then return to these guys maybe later on in the year. Eric? God, I hate to be negative after – recording WrestleMania 15 and then all the positive things we're going to say about this show, but this was the worst match these guys have had in ECW. And it's too bad because this match was okay. It just, for guys that have wrestled probably four nights a week for the past seven, eight, nine, ten weeks, this match had way too many blown spots. It had way too many kind of Slippery spots, way too many catch-up spots. 
And one really offensively missed spot by Super Crazy, which, you know what? Shit happens. It's fine. But when you have two guys that have wrestled only each other for the better part of the year, and they come out with a match that has this many kind of ropey spots, I was disappointed in it. I was also disappointed that by this point, well, Bob mentioned it, but that these two are actually still actually wrestling each other. That's fine. But that there, there's been no apparent uh, progression in a face-heel dynamic, in a character dynamic, in anything other than these two. One's Japanese, one's Mexican. We can all stipulate they're good wrestlers. Let's see what happens. <sighs> Call me fickle. That's not enough for me after like 12 weeks of watching these two guys just go at it. So the match was fine. Perfectly good opening match. If this was the first match these two had ever had, I'd be excited to see more. But the fact that Bob and I watched about five of these guys' matches last month, and this would have been clearly the worst of all of them, a little bit disappointed in context. See, I like this. I, I, as I, said, I wouldn't say this is their best match, um, but I think these two work really well together. Yes, there was a few moments, but the style they, they wrestle... I mean, you're going to have moments when shit happens and there's a bit of a fuck up. But for for a start of a show, this was a great little 10-minute match. You know, it got, it got what we needed out of it. You know, they got their stuff in. They looked good. But you're right. This should be it for these two. Can we have them sort of separated for a bit, you know, maybe bring them back together November to remember time, do something then. But for the time being, let's have a bit of separation. We then get a TV, uh, promo from RVD and Sabu. Fonzie says that Sabu is 100% and that RVD will keep his title. We then get a match between Balls Mahoney and Steve Carino. Carino comes out to tell us that he doesn't need roids or to go around the world to be respected and opens up an open challenge. Out comes Balls with punches, a backdrop, and a lariat, and then a lariat to the outside. Carino gets back in and hits the baseball slide in the plancher, but it's caught and then double teamed by Balls and Axel. Back in and Balls hits a slam, goes up top and hits a frog splash, it gets a two. Goes up top again, but misses the leg drop. Carino hits a drop kick and gets a two. A super kick and a chair-assisted head lock, which is a thing of beauty. Balls powers up, hits a super kick of his own, and a fucking horrible chair shot, and gets the win. My only notes for this was, it's a balls match, and that chair shot. Bob, any more? Not really. I, I, I'm really starting to think that Heyman and company, they think the fans like Mahoney and Axelrod more than we do at this point. I mean, the crowd wanted Sid to come out to take care of this, and then the reveal of Mahoney, you could just feel the crowd just deflate. Like They just did not really care about it. The only noteworthy thing is the chair shot. I mean, Carino took it as best as he could. I don't, I don't know how well you can take it. Just no, he didn't. He didn't get his hands up or anything. What are you talking no, about? No, no, no. He I mean, took it on the fucking crown of his head. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Like he took it as best as he could. 
He's, I'm not saying he got his hands up. I mean, he took it like, kind of like on the top of the head a little bit, a little bit better. Oh, so you're saying he, he shoot took it as best he could. Right. Yeah. Okay. Not, okay yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. That's what I'm saying. So, so stipulated counselor. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, this was luckily it didn't go too long, but this seemed to be the time to, to bring Sid out to kind of maybe pop the crowd for the, the rest of the show. And instead they got a deflating balls Mahoney match. Yeah. Um, they could have, as said, they could have quite easily had Sid out, um, or even Sid just come out halfway through and fucking destroy both of them because that could just be his thing. Um, Eric, okay, yes, I agree with Bob that Korea, that was a Shamrock Rock on Raw and Karina Balls uh, here. Um, we need to get our hands up, gentlemen. You have <laughs> lives to live after you're done professional wrestling or sports entertaining. Can we just all agree to that now? This match was fine. The best spot was Steve Carino going to hit Axel with a chair and setting it up in the middle of the ring and grabbing a front face lock. God damn, did I just pop big for that like basic heel move because this match was so obvious where it was going. It was going to end with Steve Carino getting knocked out by Balls Mahoney in three minutes, four minutes. This match was almost four minutes exactly, based upon my calculations. But Steve Carino got himself over as like a chicken shit undercard heel. And Bob, he's another guy that we should probably add to our list of guys who can wrestle an effective match on the undercard of these shows. Absolutely. And I and it's I'm glad you brought that up because so I want to note this too. Uh, again, I, I hate to be the guy that constantly brings up house shows stuff because no one really cares about it. But he had a really good match with Nova in Poughkeepsie on February 13th. Just to maybe give you guys an insight to what could potentially be, you know, a future mid card or main event acts. They, I believe, I, if I recall, they were the opener for that show, and they, just, I mean, they tore it up pretty well. And that's did they go usually, like, did they go like a full twenty? Uh, they go. I think it's between thirteen to fifteen minutes, maybe maybe Perfect. twelve. They Perfect. got they got they got plenty of time to do their thing. And uh, I'll be honest with you, when I when I watched that match, I was like, oh, maybe this isn't going to be that great. And they surprised the hell out of me. Uh, and I was definitely impressed with Nova, but not to get too far off track there. But um, yeah, I would definitely incorporate Carino as being that heel that I had mentioned last month. That maybe that kind of division or whatever would maybe need to really excel. You sort of say about Carino and Nova there. Um, they're the sort of people that you could put in matches with Tajiri and Super Crazy, um, someone we're going to speak about in a little while with Guido or Antivaz as well. You know, you've got these young talent, this young talent base that's there that just mix it up a bit and don't you don't have to feed them to Balls and Axel to eat a chair shot and... You know, give them 10 minutes and let them have a decent match. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, going into the next match, we have our FBI last man standing of Little Guido and Sally Graziani going against Antifaz Del Nuoti. Guido misses a kick to start and we get some chain wrestling. Guido then hits a clothesline and an elbow drop. Gets a two, then puts in an armbar. 
Antavaz hits some chops and a drop toe hold into a toe stomp and a rope walking arm drag. Super kick and then into a springboard drop kick and then to the outside to hit a corkscrew plancher. Back in the ring and hits a springboard sunset flip. Guido then hits a powerbomb, his posts, and if has, and then we get a chop battle. Antifaz hits the gourd buster for a two, a leg drop, an elbow drop, but Guido then hits a second rope leg drop, and then it goes up top for a second rope leg sweep, which gets a two. Antifaz hits a powerbomb, Guido hits a clothesline for a two, some shoulder tackles, Antifaz then hits a corner twisting senton that gets a two, a spinning heel kick, and a, blunt, a plancher onto Big Sally, which does him no good as he's caught and power slammed through a table. Back into the ring, Guido hits the top, top rope leg drop and then puts on the Sicilian crab for the win. Post-match, Tracy and Tommy come out. Tracy lays out Guido. Tommy hits Sally with a flag, which has no effect, and they run the fuck away. Eric, I hate to say it, the FBI is dead. This is the saddest piece of Italian media that I've seen since The Bicycle Thief. <laughs> <laughs> I am so devastated that Tommy Rich, the big Don, and Tracy Smothers. The made man. Apparently, he's a made man. He went on that boat. He got that candle ceremony. They have been exiled from the FBI. And they've been exiled from ECW due to those unfortunate budget cuts. I recognize that I am a much bigger FBI fan than most, if not all, of our listeners. For no particular reason other than I just think it's hilarious that Tommy Rich from Georgia, I think he's from Georgia, and Tracy Smothers from somewhere else in the South have been lumped into this Italian-American group for two years, and everybody just kind of buys it as an undercard tag team. And they were the tag team champions for a while, too. I've been so entertained by these guys forever. And I think Guido is a really, really, really good wrestler. And I think this match was actually disappointing because Guido and Antifaz showed more potential on hardcore TV back in February that Bob and I covered. But... Overall, personally, not that it's going to fucking matter because it's the FBI, but I'm really sad to see Tommy Rich, Big Don, and Tracy Smothers potentially off our screens because I have been routinely entertained by this faction for the better part of a year, year and a half. And I'm just, I'm just sad to see it go. I just am. I, I can feel your pain, Eric. Um, you know, it's been one of those with the FBI – you knew that you were never going to get five-star classics, but you could put them in with the BWO and get an entertaining comedy match at a pay-per-view. You could put them in against, you know, Balls and Axel and get a decent fight. You know, they were always there to be the people that could, you know, be the base for a good match against others. And now... Our, our 80s friends are no longer Italian and no longer made. Well, and, and here's the thing. 
list the former NWA World Heavyweight Champions in ECW. Shane Douglas and Tommy Rich. Where do we go from here? There's, there's nowhere. There is nowhere we can go. I, I, I don't know how we're going to cope. Bob, are, are you as, as somber as, as us two? I am, but I, it's because I'm, I'm a big Tracy Smother fan, personally. I mean, this is a guy who was Southern, and then he went to become kind of, I guess, default African-American in Memphis when he joined the, the nation there. So he's got a wide range of ethnicity that I never knew he had. Um, Somehow more offensive than the Italian-American thing. Thank you for reminding us of that. <laughs> yeah, hey, no problem. That's what I'm here for, guys. I'm here to bring just – it's extreme change wrestling. If, you're not, if you don't leave offended, we're not doing our job right. I'm calling <laughs> regional context expert. Yeah. So, uh, no, I, I am bummed that the FBI is a, a pretty good team uh, of smothers in, uh, in Guido. They balance each other out pretty well. Uh, as for this match, though, I was, I was pretty disappointed by it. I mean, Del, yeah. Del Norte has impressed me with both on TV and the stuff he's been able to do, again, on the house shows that I've, that I've been able to watch. Um, he just has a, a great ability. That wasn't really – it wasn't allowed to shine here, I felt like. It seemed like maybe the match was kind of an afterthought leading into the aftermath. Uh, which kind of is in the ECW team, it was kind of surprising that they put a greater focus on a Guido sale versus Smothers Rich feud than they would a Guido Del Norte match. That just seemed maybe, a little, it seemed a little off to me that that would be of, of heavier focus for them. But uh, yeah, this, I'm, you know, seeing this coming up, I was, uh, I was excited that we'll maybe get into some, some solid action again. And uh, I just left like, Shrugging my shoulders as if like that was it. It wasn't uh, wasn't all that captivating for me. So, Eric, what's your lasting memory of the FBI? You know, just a really, really warm place in my heart, and and truly, and I. The listeners might think I'm being glib because that might be my reputation on the show, but I'm not. I was truly entertained. There's nothing better in wrestling than entertaining low to mid card act that knows exactly what it is and it is there to serve one exact purpose. And like ECW is the place for comedy heels. And like fucking the FBI was the best version of. Of that, and I, I all all I'm going to say is I'm going to leave the listener with some glimmer of optimism. I am hopeful that Sally and Little Guido can carry forth the legacy of the FBI, and there shall be no glib glip on the radar in terms of the entertaining value of the FBI. Sally and Guido, you have been tasked with entertaining me now, moving forward. They, they are some big, big boots to fill. And it, it, it's, visually, it's visually impressive seeing ginormous Sally with little Guido. It really it does look good, and I'm just hoping it carries forth some percentage of the entertainment value that the prior FBI had given me. I, I just want more 
pizza shop promos that that's my that's my my big jam with uh, the fbi was that pizza shop promo from a couple of years ago it will never be forgotten something else that will now live long in the memory is our next match for the ecw world television title between the champion rvd and jerry lynn we open with some chain wrestling and a shoulder block by rvd a pair of leg leapfrogs into a corner where Lynn hits a moonsault. They both block some sweeps and then there's a standoff. RVD hits an atomic drop onto Lynn and then follows that up with a stiff clothesline. I have to mention this, there is a fan in the crowd that is chanting RVD at literally 100 beats per minute. How that guy can say RVD that quick, I do not know. RVD hits a leapfrog and a drop down. Lynn leg drops the prone RVD. Lynn hits a low leg drop and then clotheslines the outside. Lynn hits a cannonball onto the apron and then a drop kick into the crowd. Springboard crossbody into the crowd. RVD leg drops and then finds a way in. Some forearms and went for a springboard, but Lynn drop kicks him off in the ropes. RVD then hits a guillotine leg drop on the railings. Crossbody into the fans. RVD puts Lynn into the ring and hits a leg drop from the railings. In rolls him in and gets two. A backbreaker and then Fodzy lobs in a chair. RVD does a surfboard into a pin for two, and then back into the surfboard into a vault that sees Lynn land on the chair. RVD then hits a twisting pin for a two. RVD goes for the chair assisted monkey flip but lynn turns it into a powerbomb for a two rvd hits a modified northern lights onto the chair and gets a two rvd then goes for another but lynn turns it into an inverted ddt onto the chair for a two lynn goes after fonzie as he swings the chair which is blocked rvd grabs the chair and goes to van daminator but misses and misses the follow-up sweep lynn hits the leg drop to the neck for a two up top with a chair Fonzie grabs at his leg and RVD up and hits Lynn with a chair with a kick and then smashes the chair into RVD's face as he jumps. Lynn then falls off the top rope through a table. Back in the ring, RVD gets a two. A front slam then places the chair on Lynn as he goes for the split leg moonsault, but Lynn blocks it. Lynn hits a sunset flip for a two. RVD then hits the chair. Rolling pins gets twos. Lynn hits a German for a two. Lynn then hits some boots, then hits a swinging DDT onto a table, which does not break. Back in, Lynn gets a two count. They reverse each other's moves for a bit, a bit and then there's a double knockdown. RVD hits a spin kick for a two, a slam, and then a rolling thunder for a two. Lynn then hits a tornado DDT for a two. And at this point, the bell rings as we are hit our 20-minute time limit. The ref looks as though he's about to give Lynn the belt. Lynn asks for five more minutes, and RVD says yes. Lynn hits a dropkick and a pile driver and gets a two count. Fonzie gives Lynn the chair only for RVD to hit the Van Daminator and then the five-star frog splash for the win. Well, this is the match of the year so far. These two are on a fucking different level. 
more of the same, please, boys. And I'm off for a drink while I let you two wax lyrical about this. Bob. Uh, I really, I, I don't know if there's anything I can say to give these guys enough credit uh, for what they were able to pull off here. This might be an example of, if you don't know the name Jerry Lynn before this match, you're going to know it afterwards. Uh, a star-making performance, especially, I think even Joey Styles mentioned that, I, I can't remember if it's his, his nose or jaw or something, but like he got nailed in, I think, the nose, and it might have like broke it with the first five minutes. And uh, the performance that he went on to go on to have for the next 15 or so, it's uh, it's, it's balls to the wall. It's constant just how are they doing this? Um, I would probably say easily, and, and there might be there's some Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko fans that will disagree mm -hmm. with this. It might be the best ECW match that you're going to see. Guerrero and Malenko may be a better yes. in-ring technician, in-ring technician, but – and pure entertainment, pure physical ability to just draw in. I loved how they did not do a countdown of the time limit draw so that you're just left wondering what's going on. It was a, it's a great match. And unlike my feelings with super crazy and Tajiri, where it's like, I maybe have seen these guys enough. I feel like this is a match where I could sit down and watch these guys wrestle 12 times over and not get bored with it because their style of wrestling is just it's it, it's going to keep you there to watch it. You're not going to be able to just turn away. Even if you know what spots are coming, you're going to want to see that spot. So uh, kudos to RVD and just, a, I think it's a star making it's a, it's a similar to the Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13. Sure. He lost, but he became a bigger star out of it, obviously. Maybe Jerry Lynn won't get to that same level in ECW, but I would have to think people leaving that arena were like, wow, Jerry Lynn, he can fucking go. So just incredible match. Yeah. Um, as I said, match of the year so far, the rest of rest the wrestling world sit up and take notice of these two and, yeah, be this, follow this. I don't see anyone else getting anywhere near this. The only thing is put these two in another match together and let them gel a bit more. And these could basically have top three matches of the year and it would be three matches between these two if, they, if this first one's anything to go by. Eric? Uh, dear Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko, Dear Hostile City Showdown 1995, sit the fuck down. This is a better match. You have been supplanted by the best match in the history of ECW. This match was so good. Like, okay, what else do you want when you turn on ECW? Like, I, I can't I can't fathom somebody turning on this alternative wrestling program after watching whatever the fuck the WWF and WCW have been doing for the past, we'll just say three months since the beginning of the year and thinking, watching this match and thinking, God, I'm just not entertained. Like you're insane. I made a list of combinations 
off the top of my head, five combinations of, 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 of workers that I think if you put them together throughout history, they're always going to have a good match. And to me, those are Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, Hogan and Savage, Von Erickson, the Freebirds, Rock and Roll Express, and the Midnight Express. And then for me, Buddy Rose and Roddy Piper. And I think after having seen now two RVD Jerry Lynn matches, because there was one several months ago on Hardcore TV that we thought, well, that match is pretty good, but I think they could do better. After seeing this one, I'm I'm comfortable in saying that RVD and Jerry Lynn are the perfect opponents for one another. And like I'm I'm this match obviously sets up something more down down the road. Jerry Lynn won this match and then he said, No, I'm not gonna win it. By referee decision, which it's super weird anyway, like whatever, but I get it. And like ultimate babyface Jerry Lynn versus, you know, Dick Cool Heel Rob Van Dam. And like Jerry Lynn's the only guy in the last three years in ECW who's gotten the crowd to cheer against RVD. Like that's very important to recognize. Like Jerry Lynn was so good in this match that he got the crowd to root for him against RVD and the ECW crowd has not rooted against RVD in a very long time. Like this match was spectacular. If you haven't seen this match, if you're listening to our show before you've seen this match, you are doing yourself a disservice. Go back and watch it because you will not watch ECW and see a better match than this one. It is spectacular. It is booked flawlessly. It is performed almost flawlessly. For the amount of high spots these guys have, that's far more than you can ask. Like, everybody came out looking like a star. Everybody came out looking more important than they were before the match started. Like, I cannot emphasize enough. Go back and watch this match and tell me it's not the best fucking match in ECW history. And if you disagree, you're just wrong. So this match, I will break into sort of how obviously when I write the match review, I sit there and I, I watch a bit, pause a bit, what write the write down what's happened. I found myself having to watch this match five times because every time I was trying to do the no match notes for it, I would just be engulfed in what's going on that I noticed I had written anything down in five minutes. Went oh fuck, this is. This is the best wrestling match in North America since Austin and Brett at Mania 13. That's 100% correct. This is the best ECW match ever. And I don't understand how Rob didn't get wrestler of the year last year. I blame Rory for all of that. If Rob doesn't get wrestler of the year and if this isn't match of the year, unless they top this, it's a travesty. Isn't the next isn't the next like they just go to like a 30 minute no contest and then Jerry Lynn wins in like late summer? Like isn't that just how this has to go? You I I see them basically having maybe three you know, have another one where RVD's just a little bit better on it. You know, just gets it. And then on the third one, Lynn gets him. 
Yeah, and then you set up a 4-3 match, and then maybe you send RVD into the world title picture. But yeah, this is just so perfectly booked, and it makes you wonder, like, how how could this promotion that created this match also be responsible for some of the atrocities that we've seen in the last few months? It's just the fact that they could do something so flawless makes me even angrier that we got November to remember. I know it's, but we have, as I said, we we were great, graced with amazingness. It is if the wrestling gods have come down and popped RVD, Jerry Lynn there, and went, "You're welcome." This this is. I know we say a lot of times that you know RVD is amazing. You have to go your way to watch RVD matches. If you don't ever watch anything else of ECW ever, watch this. If if you ever call yourself a wrestling fan and you've not seen this match, are you even a wrestling fan? So, we follow Amazingness with a recap of the pre-show where Jasmine St. Clair, yes, that one, the whore, says that she's the new queen of wrestling. It comes out, Francine comes in, stunners her, and then hits a low blow to Lance Wright. We then get our gang match of the night with New Jack facing Mustafa. New Jack arrives with a massive wheelie bin full of weapons and prepares to batter Mustafa with such wonders as the hockey stick, the keyboard, the golf club. Mustafa then hits a nut shot, only to be hit with a toy lawnmower, a cookie sheet, and a bin. Mustafa manages to get some clubs, that is until New Jack hits him again with the keyboard, and goes for the guitar, but first the neck breaks on it, so he only hits him with the neck of the guitar, so he grabs the body of the car and hits him with it separately they then go for a brawl into the crowd mustafa manages to take advantage of a chair shot new jack sets him up on a table and tapes him to the table he goes up to the balcony and we get our traditional massive balcony dive security take both back to the ring and new jack rolls over and gets the pin This was the perfect palate cleanser post the RVD and Lynn match. This was our, our token walking brawl. It was exactly everything you ever want from a New Jack match. Bob, is there anything, you know, anything else this needed to be? Or was this basically perfect for what it needed to be? Uh, yeah, it's it's exactly what it needed to be. To me, it was a popcorn match. I don't really, I don't need to sit around and see the same old thing from New Jack that he's been doing for two years now. I mean, the first couple of times is pretty cool, but you know, you also incorporate the angle with Mustafa. I'm not, I'm not invested into it. But coming out of RVD and Jerry Lynn, if you come back with, let's say, the the tag match with Dreamer and Douglas against Credible and Storm or something. It's not going to get the proper response. It's just it's not going to. So you just throw two guys out there to beat the shit out of each other 
with uh, various household items, people are going to react to it accordingly. Um, I just, I don't, I didn't really care for it. And if anything, it was, uh, it was a good breather to uh, maybe appreciate later on in ring stuff. So uh, this ha this has a place on the card for sure. Uh, it's just something that I don't necessarily buy pay-per-views to watch. Eric? Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, I've been reading a little bit online, to the extent that I do that, uh, about this match. I'm like, people didn't like it. And I'm like, what, what more could you have expected from a match between these two particular combatants? So when I was in law school, the biggest thing that they taught us like in class was do not fight the hypothetical. In other words, if a professor throws out the hypothetical, don't poke holes in the factual scenarios that have to do with the hypothetical. Just resolve the hypothetical and assume all the facts are unchangeable as it is. This is the perfect do not fight the hypothetical match. What you have before you is New Jack, not a notable worker, versus Mustafa, even less a notable worker, in a hardcore match wherein the object of the game is to beat the ever-loving shit out of the other person until they cannot answer the bell. If you do not fight the hypothetical and you take this match for what it is, it's perfectly fine. It was entertaining. And, and, and really, they overcame my biggest gripe with psychology in ECW that exists forever, which is people taking naps on the table. Now, I've been in college. I've been known to overconsume and take sleeps on uncomfortable uh, surfaces. But ECW has this problem, this plague, where its performers take naps on tables where a new jack is about to jump off and crush them. And I've always felt that was a little bit I don't know, counterintuitive. But here, lo and behold, of all the matches in all the places between all the competitors, New Jack tapes Mustafa to the fucking table and then jumps off him and crushes him and essentially gets the one, two, three. Like, I popped so big for New Jack taping Mustafa to the table because at least I didn't have to come on here and say, oh, Mustafa took a nap on the table and allowed New Jack to absolutely obliterate him. So, to the extent that this match was anything beyond what it reasonably could have been expected to be, I think it exceeded all reasonable expectations and was a pretty good match for what it was. Yeah, perfectly fine. Yeah, it, it is, as you said, it is there. It serves its purpose and, you know, it does didn't outstay its welcome. Next, sure. yeah. Next, here come them damn Dudleys, and they beat the shit out of New Jack. Good. Kurtner then gets a mic, and we hear this. Why are the Dudley boys even here? Well, well, well. As the ladies already know, 
I'm not a player, I just crush a lot. And as the shorties all can tell you, I'm not just all right, I'm Dolomite. And as all these Asbury Park bitches can attest to, all you need to do is sit down on my pelvis and you'll feel the shit that killed Elvis. However, what I would like New Jack to know is that the OG that stands before you, the man who almost grabbed a bottle of Old English 800 and smashed him upside the grill, the man who puts the cream in his Crenshaw, the Beverly Hills in his Bushwick, and the Hollywood in his Harlem is the quintessential stud muffin, Joel, mama said knock you out, and I just did, Gertner. So the Dudleys have offered an open challenge, which is answered by Nova and Spike. The Dudleys beat the living piss out of both of them with some brutal fucking cookie sheet shots. Bubba then tosses Spike into the crowd, for which he crowd surfs, and they do a double team headbutt to Nova's balls. We get a second rope Bubba bomb and the 3D to Nova. Nova does not move. In comes Bubble Tees, the ring announcer, trying to help Nova get out of the ring, only for the Dudleys to 3D him. Which you'll hear now. Trying to save his friend Nova. Maybe taking a ride to the hospital, courtesy of the Dudley boys. They weren't even trying to pin no Oh no, leave Bob alone. Bob 
drop on our, on our ring announcer, Bob Ortiz. All right, you've made your point. You're the best, you're the toughest tag team in ECW history. Now get out of the damn ring. yourselves by spiking Bob Ortiz with a Dudley death drop. What are you inbreds? Just quit while you're ahead. Get the hell out of here. You think you're such a psycho and you're so vicious? <laughs> 
Sid enter the open challenge of the Dudley Boys. And now the former five-time World Tag Team Champions So what you've just heard is Bubba grabbing the mic, telling us that they've destroyed all their our heroes and calls out anyone from the back, the fans, bucket anyone in the building. Here comes Jeff Jones and out comes Sid. Sid gets double teamed until he manages to hit a double choke slam and a powerbomb onto D-bomb and then puts him on the stretcher. Spike then beats on Bubba. Spike hits a hangman leg drop as Sid then lobs the stretcher at D-Bomb. Spike hits the acid drop and gets the win. Post-match, Sid absolutely fucking destroys Spike with a massive powerbomb and a second one off the ramp through a table. Well... This is where we get our fun 15 minutes of the Dudleys being absolute grade A cunts and the other logical use of Sid for the night. Eric, Bubba and Devon, how great are they at pissing off people? Man, like, I have no issue with any of this. And I, I have not been a historical fan of ECW's tendency to just have. Matches blend into segments, blend into matches, blend into whatever the fuck. But to have Sid here appear, and he's such a a neutral, like he's like chaotic neutral, where just like don't fucking say that you want anybody who's anybody to come out and challenge you, and like Sid will just chill out in the back. But the Dudleys of course, say, oh, we want anybody who's anybody to come out and challenge us. And, of course, you get Sid. And, like, if there's anybody who's underappreciated in wrestling for being over, for being a killer in the past couple years, it's Sid. And, like, he's just so good. And he even gave the Dudleys a little bit of hope in this. Like, it makes sense, right? Like, two Dudleys should be able to maintain some sort of offensive onslaught on a guy like Sid for a period of time. So this was all like booked pretty well. And like then just Sid is over. And if you're gonna have this RVD Jerry Lynn five star masterpiece followed by a disgusting zero work rate walking brawl. That's exactly what it should have been. Why not have Sid come out after that and just keep the crowd hot? Like, I thought this was just perfectly fine. And it, it in no way affiliates the Dudleys with Sid. It in no way affiliates Sid with Spike. It in no way affiliates anybody with anybody other than Sid was here. Those magical words were said. My hero and my, uh, my goal in life, Judge Jeff Jones, came out and said, I've got Sid here, and he's going to come fuck you up now because you happen to say those magic words. Like, 
this was a perfectly good buffer between the best match in ECW history and the storyline matches to follow. Great. This was great. And I have no issue with any of this. And again, the Dudleys are so impenetrable to wins and losses that like Sid coming out and destroying both of them, it doesn't fucking matter. All it does is make Sid somehow more over. It doesn't hurt the Dudleys in any stretch. See, the thing that I, I just loved was uh, how Bubba even sort of just mouthing off at Sid beforehand and then was like, oh, shit, sorry. Oh. It's like that point where they realized the shit that they say will get them in trouble. Well, and then he feeds him Devon, which is even better. <laughs> Bob? Uh, this is the exact usage of the Dudley Boys that I don't mind. And like I said, they can talk me into a building just to see them get their asses kicked. And this is pretty much exactly what it was. So, and I'm a huge Sid Mark. I, I don't care how bad of an in-ring worker he is when he's presented in the manner that he is right now. I am sold on it. I was he's not sold bad, on him. He's not bad. He's just misunderstood. That's, that's a great, that's, that sounds like my sister's emo age. She's just misunderstood. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, she or uh, Sid here, yeah. Is it's it's kind of like reminding me of, of course, to a different level here it, of his run in '92 with with Hogan. He's just a complete badass. Sure, he's not having shaving cream, you know, on his face here or anything, but I, I like Sid in ECW. The environment fits him perfectly. He can do whatever the, whatever he wants. He doesn't have to think about what he says on a microphone. Whatever comes out, the fans will say we love it. Uh, and the Dudley Boys, this like and like what Eric just said, like this doesn't hurt the Dudley Boys at all. They after this, they're not gonna. It's not gonna be on TV that oh, hey, they got beat up by Sid, and now they, we should see them as lesser of a tag team. So I have I have no problem with what this segment did, and it kind of got for me got the show back on track, leading into our our double main event. So the first of our co-main event is Tommy and Shane versus Justin and Lance Storm. Just to say, Lance and Justin are joined by Jazz, Jason Knight, and Dawn Marie, slash Beulah McGillicuddy, slash Tammy Lynn Bitch, whichever name she's going by this week. Justin opens up with whips of... Shane's shirt and rubs it on his ass, and then Lance and Tommy start. Lance punches and corner clothesline. Justin in and a double team as Lance hits a drop kick as Tommy hits a clothesline. Neckbreaker and tagged Tommy hits a drop toe hold. Shane hits a rolling neck snap. Tag into Justin and they brawl as Shane then hits a rolling neck snap and rolling suplexes into a stalling suplex. Then we get a chop battle. Justin up top and is caught into a flapjack. They tag to Tommy who hit the demolition drop for a two count. A spine buster into an abdominal stretch and Lance in. Shane slams him into Justin's knee. Shane Punches and Justin hits a super kick and a tag to Lance. Some double stomps and a low drop kick. A drop kick, tag chops, 
punches and a double team. Shane hits the belly to belly. Justin in, hits a jawbreaker and more double teaming. Justin stomps but misses a baseball slides and posts himself. Tommy in, punches a leg sweep and clothesline over the ropes. Lance hits him with a plancher and all four are brawling outside. Lance and Tommy get back in the ring and Tommy hits a power slam and the dreamer driver for a two. Lance into Justin. Tommy flips him into a sunset flip. Goes for the DVD, but Lance hits a super kick. Lance then beats down Tommy and double team bomb. And more beating down and gets a two count. Justin in with a headlock, tags to Lance, who puts on one of his own. We then get a leg lariat for a two and a stalling suplex. Tag and a second rope elbow drop. A double suplex onto the ramp. Lance in with some punches, but Lance gets crotched and Tommy hits a hangman neckbreaker for a two. Justin gets a springboard cutter. Tag to Shane, who throws the fingers up to Lance and Justin, only to beat them both with punches, slams, drop kicks, and a double nugget knocker. Bueller attacks Shane, which doesn't last very long as Francine comes in, hits a snapmare, and we get a cat fight. Lance lobs Francine onto the ramp. Lance then beats onto Shane, hits a snap suplex onto Tommy. Francine brings out a ladder. Tommy hits an electric chair drop onto Justin on the ladder. Shane hits the crossbody and gets a two. A ladder seesaw into the face of Justin and Lance gets a two. Shane hits a gourd buster on Lance. Tommy hits a DDT on Justin. Onto Lance's nuts. Shane hits the belly to belly to get a two. Justin hits a low blow and goes to Kane Shane. But Francine head Francine headbutts Shane, and Shane hits the Pittsburgh plunge for the win. Post match, out comes Cyrus, who woos Francine as Lance attacks, and Shane and Tommy get caned. As they attack, Francine gets dropped, and Cyrus headbutts her in the womb. <laughs> Bob. What did you think of our tag team match? Well, I got nervous early on <clears throat> because the feeling of it, the feeling of the match came across like it was a, a match from WCW Saturday Night 92. I was just, I was kind of getting concerned with what they were doing. The, this is probably the most intense feud that they have considering what they did to Francine early in the year, just a couple of months ago. I was anticipating more of uh a reckless brawl. Maybe these guys, all four of them would be bleeding. It would just be a train wreck of a match. That's kind of what I was hoping for. And when they started off following the rules and just, just stuff like that, I was kind of taken out a little bit. And then uh, luckily they were able to get it going a little bit, but pretty disappointing for me, I would say. Uh, again, the whole... Like I like leading into it, I was getting nervous with the amount of momentum that Storm Incredible were having because usually if a heel has such high momentum, they're not going to win at the pay-per-view unless Kevin Sullivan's booking, then the heels always win. But I feel like this was a time where they that Storm Incredible needed to win 
to solidify where they are at. Sure, they after the after the match they they get some of their heat back, and, and that's fine and whatever. But to me and, and to other fans, they still couldn't beat Dreamer and Douglas. You know, every, the way it's been presented for Douglas is that he's on the way out, and to not have Credible and Storm kind of prevail here was pretty alarming to me. I'm, Dreamer's Dreamer's better off losing every match. He just gets more over. He he doesn't seem to go. He doesn't get over by winning matches. So the only way that this kind of makes sense for me is if if Douglas is sticking around a little longer. That maybe at the next pay per view he drops a singles match to just incredible or something. Uh, Cause I, I've been high on credible since his dreamer feud last year. Uh, that's probably a, a minority opinion, but that's kind of ironic. I like just incredible, but I'm not really big on deli boys. It's uh, kind of funny, but uh, yeah, just a, just a disappointing outcome. Just a disappointing format of a match for me. Uh, it just seems like a similar to Jerry Lynn, just a few matches ago, like a star-making match. This could have been a star-making moment for Credible and Storm as being potentially the new faces in a heel sense for ECW, and they just didn't want to pull the trigger on it. Eric? Yeah, this was uh, this was very WWF in its, in its undertaking, in that you have a, a, a group of heels that should clearly go over versus a group of faces wherein one guy is essentially naturally positioned to take pinfalls. Tommy Dreamer, as Bob pointed out. And Shane Douglas, who is or is not on his way out and whatever. But And then the faces win, and then the heels get their heat back after the match. And to me, that's never been effective booking. Like, I'm a fan of real sports. And, like, just because the Blazers lose doesn't mean that if afterwards the Rockets also lose and the Blazers move up a little bit in the standings I'm satisfied. No, I'd rather just have the Blazers fucking win and not have to worry about all the ancillary stuff. So here we have a situation where Bob Calling is absolutely right wherein there's no scenario here where the faces should have won this match cleanly and they did and then for me, there's no scenario where after the match, the faces or the heels can get their heat back effectively, having lost the match to a guy who only loses matches live on television, and another guy who was the world champion and was threatening to retire because his elbows fucked up like four weeks ago. So I appreciate that they tried to get the heat back on Justin Lance after this. I do. And I think they did, to some degree, make that effective. But, like, God, if we talked about it last month and we talked about it now, and it's like if, if there was one outcome to this match that didn't make any sense, it was the heels go or it was the faces going over clean. And that's exactly what happened. And I'm just like, you've built Justin, who beat the Sandman, and he built, he beat everybody. And, like, you have Lance, who's just a spectacular heel worker. And you have Shane and Tommy who both can take losses, both are bigger stars, and like you just beat Justin and Lance. Like, uh, I don't know what that gets at or towards. Go back and listen to our February show if you want to talk about how this 
is the one outcome that makes the least amount of sense, despite the fact that the that they tried to get heat back at the end of it. I just don't buy it. The heels needed to go over here. It doesn't matter after that RVD Jerry Lynn match. It doesn't matter after Mustafa and and New Jack. Like it doesn't matter after the main event. Like every face went over here. You could have had the heels go over here without any issue whatsoever. Yeah, said when. Obviously, I wasn't on the last one I'm show, sure, but there was that bit when the franchise was about to put his boots down and hand his boots off as that sort of symbol. And the brash youngsters come in and demand that they're going to take it. They should have had them win this match. Um, as you said, it just makes them the new heels you know it's the one thing you look at ecw and other than there's a few that are definitive you know taz sabu rvd there's all this sort of shade of gray with these guys there's no sort of definitive top bad guy top good guys you know the the the, the top bad guys in a way is probably the dudleys because everyone wants to fight them but you could have made Justin and Lance like super hated by destroying the face of WC of ECW. You know, these two are the stalwarts of that company. They've been there since day dot. They should have been the ones to sort of do the job, but who knows? Maybe you know the next next pay per view, they get absolutely turned over, and you know Shane runs away, and Tommy, you know, is is broken. Who knows? But yeah, it should have it should have been a win for Storm and Credible. I just I just want to point in here too. I wouldn't consider the Deadly Boys top heels. I would consider Bubba the top heel. Devon's is kind of. Guilty by association. Mm. Devon doesn't have the heat. Devon's just like like what Eric did earlier with the comparison of Gibson and, and Morton. People loved Morton. Gibson was just like, oh yeah, hey, you're you're cool too. But people were there for Morton. I think for me at least, it's like I want to see Bubba get his ass kicked. And it's unfortunate that Devon's there, but I'm I'm not hating Devon. I'm definitely hating Bubba. He's the one that's spewing all this hatred and all this other stuff. So. He's for sure. I, to me, he's the one of the top heels in the company. So before we go into the main event of the evening, we do get a promo with Ref Finnegan, who says that he was about to award the title to Jerry Lynn early in the night. But in comes RVD, who tells us he will wrestle him again and challenges him for a match at the next pay-per-view. We're getting number two, technically number three, but, you know... Of the, of the level of title match, we're getting number two. So we go into our main event of the evening, which sees the ECW World Heavyweight Champion Taz going against the FTW World Heavyweight Champion Sabu in a unification match. To start the match, Taz grabs the mic and tells us this is now an extreme death match. Sabu tries to go for a leg takedown, but Taz counters. 
We get some chain wrestling and exchange punches. Sabu blocks as Taz's crossface and rides him into a pin for a one. Taz then hits a takedown with some massive clubs, the Brooklyn boot, and some punches. Sabu hits a slingshot side kick for a two and a slingshot leg drop for a two. He then lobs the chair at Taz and then hits at Sabu. A baseball slide and a triple jump into the crowd, but Taz hits him with a chair. They brawl in the crowd all the way up one of the stands and then all the way back down. Then they manage to end up at the entrance ramp. Sabu hits Air Sabu into the crowd from the ramp, which gets a two count. Taz then lobs Sabu into the crowd, then back into the ring. Sabu hits a low drop kick and then brawl into Taz hits a belly to belly. Taz flex. This is for a table at ringside. Snake eyes onto the railings and then Sabu lobs the chair again. Onto the ramp, Taz lobs Sabu into the crowd. Fonzie hits Taz with a chair. Massive mistake as Taz then chases him to the back. Sabu then hits a low blow and head drop, puts on the camel clutch and gets a two count. Top rope Hurricane Rana for a two. Taz hits a snap power bomb and gets a two. They then brawl back to the outside. Sabu hits the Arabian power bomb onto the floor for a two count. Then off the top with a splash through Taz for a table at ringside, again only getting a two. Back in, Sabu hits the Arabian face buster for a two. Taz hits a pump handle Tazplex for a two. Sabu, a triple jump moonsault gets a two. Taz head and arms Hasplex gets a two. Sabu hits a tri another triple jump moonsault. Again, getting a two. Taz then hooks in two head and arms Hasplexes. And then Taz hits an overhead German Tazplex through a table that gets a two and puts on the Kachaha Jamei for the win. Post-match, they shake hands. See, again, another great match between these two. I don't get why they needed to walk up the crowd, up one side of the, the bleachers, as you call it in the States, and back down again. I, I don't really get why they did that. But decent match between these two. And again, perfectly salvageable for what you'd expect from these two eric yeah perfectly fine match uh i just don't know whether they were hurt by everything that had come before it in that this there's nothing necessarily wrong with this match like like do not be mistaken this match was perfectly fine it was everything it was built up to be the build was good it's Taz versus Sabu, so you know what you're getting. Buy it or don't buy it. Like, whatever. But, like, I just wonder if, like, on a on a less than card, if this match had stood out a little bit more. I think Taz and Sabu have a limit that they can go to. I think they have a, a glass ceiling they cannot not break through. And to the extent that this card allowed them to shine, I think that they... they Frankly, did not they did not shine. 
Uh, I just think there was too much good stuff before this match to make this main event match feel like a main event, stand out like a main event, or really culminate this otherwise very good show. So to the extent that these two had a good match in a vacuum, yeah, they, they absolutely did. And this is a perfectly acceptable Taz versus Sabu match. But in in the context of this show where there had been so much good stuff before it, gosh, I just don't know if this felt like a main event match to me. So if let's play devil's advocate, none of the matches change. All the matches are exactly the same, but you could reorder the show. Mm-hmm. Obviously we know how great the RVD and Lynn match is. Is that what means that everything after it suffers? I see. I don't know if you can reorder the match as the matches as the way they were billed. I just think that you can't. It's 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 duplicative because like really Jerry Lynn versus RVD should have closed the show, but you can't because it's the TV title and they did some storyline development after that, which necessarily means that that match could not come earlier in the show or later in the show than halfway through. But like Taz and Sabu had no chance to follow that match. So I don't, I don't know what you do. I think you were just kind of left in a booking conundrum here where this is the match you were going to get. And it is what it is. Bob? Uh, I wouldn't have reordered it just because Taz would probably rip my head off if I tried <laughs> doing that. I mean, I would not want to die. Who knows what Sabu would do? I mean, that guy's got scars all over his body. I wouldn't want any scars on my forehead or forearms or anything either. Uh, the match is solid. Uh, not the best Taz-Sabu match. It felt very similar to their match at Barry Legal, 97. Uh, it felt very similar to the various matches that they had leading into this on the house show circuit. They've had a few 30 minute time on the draws in recent months, maybe kind of feeling out what they should do here or something, but uh, it didn't feel like a big time match. If you, if you look at it from an angle perspective, like Eric said, the argument could be made that dreamer Douglas credible storm should be the main event. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that. So, yeah. And I'm not against putting like the world title in the middle, but to the best of my recollection, there wasn't much promotion into RVD Jerry Lynn in the main event. So, or uh, in on the shows leading into it. Uh, so it could, you know, from a crowd standpoint, you put it in the main event, sure. They deliver an incredible match, but you put it in the main event. Is the crowd going to kind of shit on it at first? Like, this is it. Like, I don't think Jerry Lynn has that clout before the match to kind of justify it. But in, of course, now if you look at after the show, the fans are probably thinking, oh, that should have gone on last. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we, we want to see, that type of thing. Moving forward, you better have a damn well, a damn great main event to justify RVD and Jerry Lynn, if there were to be a rematch, to not go on last. So let's say in the future, let's, it's like it's Taz against Lance Storm or something at the next pay-per-view. And that's your main event. And you also have RVD and Jerry Lynn and you have Taz and Storm in the main event, you're you're doomed. 
because it's just it's going to have the same effect here. But now you have probably a month or two to prepare yourself for that. Um, so I I wouldn't change the placement of the show of the of the matches. If you looked at Taz Sabu on its own, not in order of the show, you're probably going to appreciate it more. You're not going to be as desensitized to what you had seen earlier, and that even includes the Sid stuff. And uh, so it's not it's not a bad it's not a bad match, but I don't think you ever want to have your main event just seen as perfectly acceptable wrestling. I think that is something you maybe you try to avoid, but. Uh, all that said, I'd rather watch Taz Sabu 300 times than Hogan Flair 300 times. I was going to say, turn into volume two this month for the definition of barely acceptable wrestling. <laughs> that, is, that is so very, very true. So, Bob, your overall thoughts on the show as a whole and your score out of 10? Well, like I said, I, going into it, I had a lot of hope for it. And my initial feeling was I wanted to be super critical of it. But even just hearing you guys talk about it and, and reminiscing on watching it, I think I'm growing to appreciate it a little bit more than maybe I did in my, my viewing of it. There's some good wrestling. You know, Crazy Tajiri's pretty good. Or solid, I should say. There were better matches on TV, but you know that's kind of bound to happen when you wrestle 12 times in four weeks or whatever it was. Uh, the Sid stuff is pretty enjoyable. Obviously, you got to go out of your way to watch RVD and Jerry Lynn. So after listening to this, if you're not going out of your way to watch that match for 25 minutes or however long it was, I think it was like around 21, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice. There's nothing overly bad. I think if you have a taste of, if, if you enjoy New Jack's type of stuff, then you're going to enjoy probably the majority of the show. Uh, the New Jersey crowd disappointed me. I was hoping for a, a rowdier crowd, and that might have helped the show as well. But uh, this might be the highest rating I've ever given a show so thus far. I'm uh, going to give it a six and a half. Um, I, I enjoyed the majority of it, and I didn't feel like afterwards that I wasted my time. A few questionable decisions, but it's not anything where I'm going to be like, oh, I'm not watching ECW anymore. So... Uh, I'm still intrigued to see where Credible and Storm can go from here. And uh, hopefully uh, the next several weeks on television, they can get some, uh, get their heat, get their heat back, momentum back, and maybe get a decisive win over Douglas to shoot themselves up the ranks to maybe eventually challenge Taz throughout the summer. Eric. Yeah. If, if memory serves, I gave heat wave 98 and eight out of 10. And I don't, I don't think this was as good of show soup to nuts as that one. But this one also had RVD versus Jerry Lynn, which, like, fucking come on. Like, if you put that much on Heat Wave, it's 10 on 10. So I think on balance, if you're going to look at all the stuff that happened on this show and all the stuff that happened on Heat Wave... Balanced against what we know ECW can do in terms of terrible shows. Uh, I think this show rightfully deserves 7.5 out of 10. So, to me, this is an awesome 
three hours, you you've got arguably the best wrestling match in the past three years. You've got the best wrestling match ECW has ever put out. You've got fun with the Dudleys. You've got decent match between Super Crazy and Tajiri. You've got a decent tag team match between Lance, Justin, Tommy and Shane. You've got Taz and Sabu being Taz and Sabu. This is, as I said, it's an easy two and two and three quarter hours watch. Go out of your way to watch it. It is must watch. And I will give it eight out of ten. Um, it is is easily the best show so far this year. And uh, yeah, up your game, WWF and WCW. You've got this to beat. So that leaves us with the last week's TV for the month which is pretty much just mostly highlight packages in still form from the pay-per-view. But what we do see is Sid beat the shit out of Skull Von Crush and Ron Price with chokeslams and powerbombs. We then get a fun match between Guido and Tajiri, where Tajiri wins after a basement dropkick. And Antifaz versus Super Crazy, where we see Super Crazy win after a corner roll-up in a really awesome lucha match. Fucking Nostradamus, me and Bob calling, talking about these matchups last month. Like, this is exactly what we were talking about. Perfect. Perfect. So, was there anything you wanted to mention between the Guido Tajiri Antifaz Super Crazy match at all? Either of you? Just, Just that, like, this is exactly what they should be doing. Like, putting your good wrestlers against other good wrestlers and filling TV time. Outstanding. No, exactly. And this is, it keeps it fresh and uh, you don't, you don't burn through stuff too much. You have a handful of guys to work with. So I thought it was a, a good episode to close out and, uh, to go into April and the May, uh, you can just interchange these guys throughout, you have, this is easy television to put together at this point. You have six or seven guys. You just rotate them in and out. I mean, you can't you can't go wrong with that. So, I'm glad that they're uh, that they're aware of that and that uh, the product won't uh, become stale. So, it takes this time for me to thank both of you for joining me this evening. Bob, would you like to pimp your wares? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a cheap whore, so I can do it for you. Uh, <laughs> if you guys want to get in contact with me, YoBobbyBoy89 on Twitter. You guys can uh, check out IcoPod with myself and Austin Skinner, where we deep dive into the WWF, starting with the first draw. We're up to – we just got done with Royal Rumble. We're marching on to WrestleMania 10. He's uh, awesome, by the way. is far off the Lex Express at this point. He was originally on it. He jumped off, <laughs> sprained an ankle, but we're still going. And uh, WrestlingRecaps.com where I uh, do a bunch of reviews, columns, and uh, magazine reviews that i got to get back into. But I've been covering ECW TV in written form uh, there as well. So if you guys want to follow along with my thoughts and transcripts from that, you can just go to wrestlingrecaps.com and follow along. And Eric? 
No pressure, Bob, but uh, Brett versus Owen at 10 is my favorite wrestling match in the history of the sport. So please cover oh. that appropriately. Um, I, no, I will try. I will try. <laughs> uh, at Modern Day Lawyer for me, uh, shout out the Oregon Ducks, men and women. Uh, you're about to both participate in the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament. And I hope we get it done against UC Irvine and Indiana, respectively. And if we lose, again, at Twitter, at Modern Day Lawyer, please feel free to troll me. Also, Patreon, hit us up. Good stuff coming. WrestleMania 11, very much underrated, as me and Rory McNamara plan to break down <laughs> at some point in the near future. Uh, classic, classic. Man. Royal WrestleMania is there. Um, so, yeah. I have to thank both of you for covering for me last month. Um, anyone that has has me on their normal social media will have known that I had a pretty rough few weeks last month. Um, and I just want to thank everyone that sent a message throughout, uh, you know, anything towards me. You know, I've had DMs, I've had stuff, you know, every person that said something it really did help um you know it's that point of saying it is okay to not be okay um if you are struggling do go and you know speak to someone about it because the worst thing you can do is just ball the fucker up um because then you end up going full crazy and having a breakdown and you know you then don't want to do anything so yeah you know it is okay to not be okay if you are feeling that way just you know just speak to someone you know you won't be judged for speaking to someone and if someone can give you the help that you need then you know you you'll be getting better you know um as for plugs for me obviously if you want my ramblings on how Norwich are doing at the end of the season and what video games I'm playing and how fucked up Brexit is. You can follow me at Lacey555666 and show and tell with tunes is back onto weekly for rotation again. Obviously after the break with everything else that was going on, we have had our first guest host back on, which was Mr. Jeffrey Roos, a British independent wrestler. Um, and an all-round good lad. Um, some really fun playlists have been put out. So, yeah, that's at Show and Tell with Tunes. Look for it on iTunes and Podbeam and all those other wonderful places you can find your podcasts. Wrestling 20 years ago, as always, rate, review, subscribe, and all that wonderful thing. Share with friends. Tell people about it. You know, we've just hit 200 episodes. And it would be wonderful if we can break out some wonderful new reviews. Five of your stars, like Rob Van Dam's Frog Splash and Matches with Jerry Lynn. Volume 1 is episode 200 and WrestleMania 15. Volume 2 is WCW Uncensored. This has been Volume 3. Again, thanks to Bob and Eric for joining me tonight. And until next time, goodbye.